So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 13, uh, the very end of Paul's letter to the Corinthians there, the, the second letter that we've got uh, anyway. Uh, today is Trinity Sunday. It's in the church's calendar, uh, the, the liturgical calendar. This year we've uh, we've started at the beginning of Christ's life and we've gone through his death um, uh, tracing from you know the incarnation of the Son of God uh, in Advent and at Christmas time, uh, tracing his life through his death on the cross on Good Friday, his resurrection on Easter Sunday, his ascension a couple weeks ago, and at Pentecost where he uh, where was the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And so now now we've uh, um, arrived at Trinity Sunday. It's, it's time to celebrate the full revelation of God in the gospel. God has revealed himself to be triune. Three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, yet there's only one God. There are not three gods. So we know this God. We know the Son, the Lord Jesus, and because of him, we also know the Father, and we know the Spirit whom he has sent. So Jesus has made God known to us. The Trinity, the God who is love. The God who's the source of all reality, who made the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. The God who is central to everything, who rules over all and accomplishes all his holy will. The God who's made us in his image for eternal communion with him. The God who has given himself to us in grace for our salvation. We know this God. And there's no God like the triune God. There's no God besides him, as Tim's already read in our Old Testament reading. At its core, what makes Christianity unique is our God. What makes the church unique among all the peoples of the world is our God, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. And when this unique God gives his people a participation in his own life, then we have new and unique resources to live in ways that the world cannot because the world does not know God. So the triune God's presence with us and life shared with us reconciles us to one another in divine peace and unity and love that is unknown by the world that does not know this God. I love to think about the Trinity and I love to talk about the Trinity, so I'm pretty happy that it's Trinity Sunday. And uh, even if we can only talk briefly about our God and about the ways that his being triune changes our lives together, um, I'm looking forward to it. So let me pray. Then we'll read the scripture. Father, your son has laid his life down for us. And your spirit has taken up residence in us and among us so that we may know you and become like you. Please use your word now to that very end, that we may know you and become like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The church in Corinth, where Paul is writing this letter, uh, it was a messy place. It's probably one of the messiest churches and letters that Paul had to write in the New Testament. Uh, it's, it's a place full of conflict and divisions. Paul wrote two really long letters. Actually, he wrote probably four letters, but we've only got two. But they're long. 
right? He's addressing a lot of things here. The people were suspicious of each other. The people were mean to each other in a variety of ways. Paul himself had spent a, a year and a half there planting a church that is, um, uh, it consists of both Jews and Gentiles from diverse social, economic, and ethnic backgrounds, right? It's a diverse church that he planted. But it's not natural for sinners to celebrate, celebrate diversity. It, it never has been. We all share a sinful nature, which basically means we oppose God. That's what that means. Relationally, we want to have nothing to do with God. We walk away from God. We rebel against God. Sin means our opposition to God. We oppose the triune God. We don't just oppose some nebulous God. We oppose the one true God, who is triune. We oppose the God of love. In our self-centered rebellion against the triune God, then... We stand over and against the other. The other with a capital O. Apart from the Trinity, I view the other as a threat. Apart from the Trinity, I compete with the other. And sometimes I'm even locked in combat with the other. I I hate, hate the other and fight the other. The more different the other is from me, the easier it is for me to dismiss the other or degrade or even to dehumanize the other. Once we chose a reality apart from, from the triune God's reality, this self-centered life of conflict became the problem for the whole world. Even in the church, among people of the Trinity, suspicion of the other and strife and divisions are everyday occurrences. Even in the church. So, one of the things you see the apostles addressing throughout the New Testament as they write letters to the people they know, the people they love, in the churches they planted, is the problem, the continuing problem of our conflicts with one another. Right? The, churches, uh, the, the letters of the New Testament are written because there's problems in the churches. They continue. Conflict. And the apostles are addressing how Jesus brings divine reconciliation and how he brings unity to his church. And the scriptures make it clear about this, that the main part of the work has already been done. It, it puts it in this, this language all the time. We have peace with God. We have peace with each other in the church. Jesus himself is our peace. He has made peace by the blood of his cross, Colossians 1. He has reconciled us together to God in one body on the cross, Ephesians 2. By his sacrifice, he has taken people who are quite different from each other in a variety of ways, even those who have been enemies, who have been hostile toward each other, and he's made us one people. He's done something that no one else could do, something that no one else can do. He's restored relationships that we've broken by our sin because he's ultimately restored our relationship with the triune God. He's fixed our connection with the Trinity, <clears throat> our connection with the one who's at the heart of all things. By his grace, Jesus enables us to confess our sins to God, to confess our sins to each other, the way that we've hurt each other. By his grace, we can forgive each other even as Jesus has forgiven us. It's true that the church often does not live like the restored and reconciled people of the Trinity. It's true that like the church in Corinth, our relationships are often broken because of my self-centeredness, because of our mutual suspicions and prejudices and lasting bitterness.
it's true that often on a daily basis we have so little awareness of the Trinity or so little appreciation for the Trinity that we fail miserably to celebrate the other and to serve the other and instead we settle into the old patterns of opposition and divisiveness. We fail to love as the God of love has called us to do and restored us to do. And you can't fix that problem by scolding people. You can't fix that problem by condemning people. That's not the Bible's approach to that. You can't fix the problem by threats or by force. You can't fix that problem by education or laws or politics or economics. The world without God is a world without hope of true reconciliation and peace. The only thing that's going to fix the problem of the failure of our love is the blessing that's bestowed on us in the name of the triune God of love. This is a familiar benediction to us. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God that is the Father and the fellowship, the communion, the participation of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the blessing of the God of love that's extended to his people that we would be caught up into the life of the Trinity, that we would be given full participation in God's life. The Father loves the Son in the communion of the Holy Spirit. And by the grace of the Son, we're caught up into that very communion. In the Church of Jesus Christ, our whole way of being is renewed to reflect the image of the triune God whose way of being is love, one for the other. And the Apostle John puts it this way, God is love. And in an attempt to describe and under, you know, sort of understand what that means, Karl Barth said that this, the statements, God is and God loves, are synonymous. So love's not merely an action that God performs here or there. Love is not just something he does whenever he feels so inclined. Love is how he has his being. Love is how he exists. Love is who he is. We can't understand that, but we shouldn't be surprised because he's God. Maybe we can't wrap our minds around everything about him. <clears throat> but if God were not love in his very being, then he would not exist. The Father loves the Son in the communion of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to say that God is. The Father loves the Son in the communion of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, this love is also the ultimate reason why God does anything that he does, because he would never do anything that is contrary to his own nature. The Trinity has his very being in the communion of love, which means divine love is the very heart of reality and the source of reality and the purpose for reality because the God of reality is the God who is love. And when he reunites us to himself, which he does only in the church, only through Jesus, then we're renewed in his image and, and his own divine love, his way of being, becomes our way of being, our new reality. So blessed in the name of the Trinity, we find our relationships restored to true communion. Blessed in the name of the Trinity, we have peace and unity, even in our plurality and diversity with people who are very different from us. We find ourselves 
uh, as, as we find ourselves blessed in the name of the Trinity, we actually f- sort of discover ourselves. Uh, we become who we are meant to be as we give ourselves to each other. We, we only find ourselves in relationship to each other as renewed in the Trinity. And blessed in the name of the Trinity, we can celebrate and serve one another in divine love. The triune God forgives us and he gives us participation in, lo- in his love because he loves us, because love is how he is. Paul here is talking to a church that's made up of all kinds of people, made up of men and women, young and old, slave and free, poor and rich, from various ethnic backgrounds, with various shades of skin color. He addresses the church with a simple and profound word at the beginning of our passage and throughout his letters, brothers. It means brothers and sisters. In spite of our failure to love, by the grace of the triune God, we are brothers and sisters, a new family. Here's this church that he's had to write several letters to because of all the problems, because of all the ways they're not acting like brothers and sisters to one another. And he addresses them because this is what the grace of the triune God means. We are brothers and sisters. That describes the new reality of our relationships in the church regardless of any differences that exist in our minds or in our bodies. It describes the new reality of our relationships in the church, regardless even of the fact that we often fail to live like brothers. It's a new reality that's found only in the church because of Jesus, because the Son of God came for us. He bled for us. He died for us in order to bring us into his own family, to knit us together as a new family. To make his father our adopted father. To make all all of us his own brothers and sisters. So we're brothers and sisters to one another. Not because of anything in us. And not because of the way that we act toward one another. Not because of something that might be in me but isn't in you. We're brothers and sisters to one another in spite of anything in us. We're brothers and sisters to one another because of Jesus. And only because of Jesus. This new family of the triune God of love participates in his life together. So in verse 11, we have some of what that means, right? We find a list of <clears throat> what are in the original Greek. They're actually all single word commands. Right? And I, I can't say them that way in English because they won't make sense. But it's just a, a short staccato list of, of wonderful little words. Rejoice. Brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. These are facets and features of the love of God that he shares with us. The God of love and peace is with us. And he's given us one to the other. So rejoice and sing and praise and celebrate together. The God of love and peace is with us, so look to mend what is broken in your relationships. Confess your sins and forgive one another as Jesus has forgiven you. The God of love and peace is with us, so become less self-absorbed. Become concerned with comforting each other by listening to the struggles of your brothers and sisters and by offering your presence and your compassion and your words of encouragement and comfort. The God of love and peace is with us. The life of the Trinity is our life. So stop 
being a hypercritical contrarian, always looking for a fight, and focus on cultivating agreement at the deepest levels of soul and mind and judgment. That's what that phrase means. It, um, <clears throat> it doesn't just mean uh, agree with one another. It means be of the same mind. Be, be united at the deepest level of your thinking. <clears throat> Even go so far in your Trinitarian love that you greet one another with a holy kiss. Verse 12. So the handshake uh, dates back to ancient Greece, five centuries before Paul is writing this. It's a symbol of peace, right? Kind of a tentative peace. It's like, hey, look, I don't have any weapons up my sleeves. I'm not going to kill you right now. <laughs> Let's shake hands, right? Um, we've made a practice of shaking hands. It's a culturally acceptable thing for us to do during the passing of the peace, but the Holy Kiss takes it to another level, doesn't it? I mean, this is not the only place where Paul talks about this. It seems to be important to him and to the churches. It's not an inappropriate kiss, right? It's a holy kiss. And it's making yourself vulnerable to your brother or your sister. It's the way that you would kiss a family member, the way you kiss your brother or your sister, right? It's making yourself vulnerable to that person, and it's the expression of divine intimacy and affection that's in the Holy Trinity. It's a way to engage our physical persons in reconciliation and peace. It's not just words. It's harder to kiss somebody than it is to just say, hey, friend, greetings. <laughs> and it's a way for us to humble ourselves and to extend forgiveness to each other. It'd be really hard to kiss somebody if you didn't forgive them. It probably would have a real effect on our relationships to open ourselves up to a holy kiss before the sacrament of our spiritual unity in Christ as we enter into communion together at the Lord's table. More than a handshake, right? It would have a real effect on our relationships. So I'm not sure what to say about that, especially considering the current uh, germophobia. It's unlikely that we're going to greet one another with a holy kiss. And apparently Anthony Fauci has declared even the death of the handshake. So... <clears throat> But there it is. It's a command to us right there in God's Word. Whether you want to dismiss it as maybe an outmoded cultural practice or not, it's just not something we do. Maybe they do that in France or something. They kiss one another as they greet each other or something. But uh, hopefully you wouldn't resist the idea of greeting each other with a holy kiss because of the way that you feel about each other. Hopefully that's not the obstacle. There is some barrier or brokenness in our relationships that would prevent us from showing such affection as this. It has to be dealt with. It has to be mended whether or not we're literally kissing each other. The triune God doesn't he doesn't just bring good people into his family. He doesn't cer certainly doesn't just bring people like you into his family. He's more gracious and more loving than that. So a couple times here, Paul says that the God of love and peace is with you all. The triune God be with you all. The Trinity blesses you to participate in his unique life together, so that in his love of the other, you would love. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we have access to you together in one spirit because of your son, Jesus. <clears throat> So we come to you in his name, and only in his name, 
and we confess our failure to love as you love? We do love you because you first loved us. No one is more wonderful to you, uh, to, to us than you are, Holy Trinity. You've opened your life to us, and so we thank you. We do rejoice. We want to be peacemakers like Jesus. We're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We want to show the world who you are by your love at work in us and among us so that we can all find the true hope of restoration that's only found through a relationship with you. Bless us with your grace and your love and your communion to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.